0: Shalom, welcome to Tanakh Study. This is Alex Israel from Alan Shvut, And today we're going to be studying uh, Chapter 3 of Bereshit, Perak Gimel, um, and the story of uh, Chet Gan Eden, the sin in the Garden of Eden. And let's begin, before we even approach the Psukim, understanding that our story really represents a paradigm of sin, uh, punishment, and exile. Uh, the Ramban Nachmanides, when he looks at the beginning of Breshit, he asks the question, "Why do we start off with the whole story of creation um, and the Garden of Eden?" And his answer is really interesting. He says that essentially this idea that you have the most perfect and wonderful place to live, and then through your sins, you are ejected, you are exiled, you are shut out of this place establishes a sort of uh, framework, a sort of paradigm, a a motif that continues throughout the rest of Tanakh, that um, we're given rules, we're given a wonderful place to live, and that place will be Eretz Israel. However, if we do not obey the code, which we are granted, this will engender exile and... Uh, being shut out of this wonderful place and being distanced from it. So, really, I'd like to say, even before we begin, the first way we're going to read this story is as a classic tale of sin. Maybe even before sin, we'll talk about temptation and uh, making errors and mistakes, breaking the rules and exile. And on that note, let's start reading the Psukim. I have to start off with the last uh, Pasuk uh, in Paret Bet Man and woman were naked but they were not embarrassed a very strange state of being where human beings have no sexual awareness Um, like children we'll come back to this later on in the class no awareness of any sexual dimension of their bodies they're naked, they're not embarrassed the reason why I read this is cause look look at the next pasuk the snake was arum, the same word for nakedness very interesting out of all of the animals of the field what does arum mean? what is the snake? what's the snakes about? the Ibn Ezra suggests that uh, the woman could understand the language of, of, of animals but the um, says the Ibn Ezra the snake could speak it walked upright and whoever put intelligence in human beings put intelligence in the snake. For the Ibn Ezra the snake is almost like a human being. However I prefer the explanation of the Sforno where he says Who's Satan? Who Yetzirah? a the snake is a metaphor for the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. As he says, Rav Even though the snake sort of slithers through, you barely see it. Um, it lies in wait. It's, it's, uh, d- its harm is great. Its damage is huge. How does the snake function in this story? Of course, we all recall that in chapter 2, um, verse 9, we read that in the garden was kol eitz nechmad and pay attention to the description all trees which were beautiful to sight for tovlema achal and good to eat, apparently a lot of edible fruit and beautiful aesthetic trees. The eitz achayim in the middle of the garden was a tree of life, but also the eitz hadat tovara, the tree of. The knowledge of good and evil will come back to that and god had told in pasuk tet zayin in verse 16 in chapter 2 you can eat from all the trees but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat because the on the day that you eat it you will die so how does the nachash work how does the snake work the nachash was cunning more than any other animal he said to the woman maybe put the best way didn't God say that you can't eat any of the trees any of the fruit of the trees this is an amazing opening and here I'm drawing on the work of Nechama Leibovitch. when Nechama Leibovitch points out that um, the easiest way to get somebody on the defensive is if you start pretending that everything is is forbidden um i don't know imagine somebody who uh, is very very happy at school and then somebody comes up to them and says oh but those teachers they forbid you from having any freedom and they make you wear a uniform and whatever it is suddenly the student sees the school as an oppressive place you know if somebody's having an argument about the state of israel and they start up with you and they say, Well, isn't Israel an apartheid state? And then you start arguing back, Well, it's not apartheid because of this and that. What have they done? They've already set the terms of the discussion um, where you are on the defense and they are on the attack. They've already put something into the center of the conversation which has established a state of things. Then a hush, and we're, well, the way we're going to analyze. The temptation of the Nachash is that he manages, he, it's a masterclass in temptation. And the first stage is very well taken. What does he say? Didn't God make everything forbid, forbidden? Now, again, I refer back to chapter 2. What did God say? In verse 16. Mikol eitzagal achol tochel. You can eat, double word, achol You can certainly eat everything. But there's one tree you can't. In one Pasuk, the lachash turns it over and says, Didn't God say you can't eat anything? And now, the woman has to defend. Toma <laughs> Eishah, the woman says, <laughs> Indeed, we can. She didn't say, <laughs> She's already defensive. <laughs> Notice, originally, the Eitz HaChayim, the Tree of Life, was in the center of the, the, the garden. But now, as her attention has been focused to what is forbidden, she says, the fruits of the tree which are in the centre of the garden, which we know will be the tree of of, of, of uh, knowledge of good and evil, God says you can't eat and don't even touch it lest you die. As Rashi points out, this is a warning against stringencies. Rashi brings a lovely Midrash that she said she was nervous that he was trying to tempt her to eat the fruit. So she she invented a safeguard and she said, you know, we're not allowed to eat it, but we're not even allowed to touch it. And then he pushed her on it. I don't think it's the Peshat, but it is interesting. But what? why did she add that? We can't even touch it because she's nervous. She's trying to bolster herself because she realizes she's under attack. What's the next stage of the Nachash? The serpent says, then Achash says to the woman, First of all, God's lying. You won't die. Elohim, God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, who knows good and evil. In other words, God's only stopping you from doing it to protect his position. God doesn't want you to be like him. You might be in the image of God, but you're below him but you can be like god you can know good and evil if only you eat from this tree he is just trying to keep his superior place suddenly this fruit becomes tantalizing he says your eyes will be open and now look with this sense that maybe i can be like god maybe that god is holding me down just in order to keep his superior position vateira ishakhi tova itmahar the woman saw that the tree was good to eat, avahil and that it was beautiful, uh, desirous. It was it was tempting to the eyes. It was visually pleasant, skill, and that it would make her intelligence v'atikach She took the fruit and ate. V'atiten gamli She also gave to her her husband, and he ate too. The amazing thing about this line is this is nothing we didn't know before. If you look at the original description of all the trees in the garden, all the trees are good to eat, all the trees look beautiful. Look back again at chapter 2, verse 9. They're all nechmad l'mareh, Achal, And of course they knew that this was hadat, tov Vara. Suddenly, what is prosaic, what I can't have, has become so attractive so attractive i just have to have it and at this point she takes the fruit and gives it to her husband Two. interesting why does she not just eat it and keep it for herself why does she also give it to her husband we don't know maybe she was scared that if she would die she didn't want to die alone maybe adam should die with her who knows we're not told they're a partnership and she gives him to eat as well but suddenly let's see what happens their eyes are open suddenly they know they're naked how did that happen and they take fig leaves and they make them as loincloths for themselves by the way there was a huge uh, discussion about what exactly was the fruit that they were going to eat it's certainly not an apple Um, there weren't apples in the middle east in that time um some people say it's a fig because of this story of the fig uh fig leaves, others opinions in the Gemara that it's grapes. Some people say no it was wheat. Um and there are all sorts of reasons for this. But let's see what happens next. The, the big question of course is how suddenly by eating was it a magic tree? How by eating the tree did they suddenly know they were naked? In a few minutes we're gonna suggest a reason for this. But I want to follow this psychology of sin. It says that what do they do? They realize they're naked and quickly they, they get to work. Very interesting to see this industry, this clothing industry they create by using simple leaves and sewing them together. Wonder what they sew, sewed them with. And suddenly bagan, they hear God walking or moving through the garden through the wind and now they hide can you imagine it's like almost i don't know mother goes out for five minutes she tells the little boy don't touch the glass the crystal vase on the table and of course he does he climbs on the table to play with the crystal vase and it smashes And what does he do? He hides under the table. He says, where are you? And just like, of course, the mother knows exactly where he is. She can see his feet poking out from under the tablecloth. She knows where he is. She's giving him an opportunity to talk to her. What does Adan say? I heard your voice and I was scared because I'm naked and I hid God says Who told you you're naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to? This is Adam's opportunity to own up, but what does he do? The woman who you gave me he not na An amazing, amazing statement uh, read in a certain way we could read it this way First of all, let's simply say, what does Adam do? He doesn't say, "Chatati, aviti, pashati." I sinned. He says, "The woman who you gave me to be, she gave me Aisha twice." Natata, natata, heinat nali. In other words, um, here we have, by the way, the Ramban saying, "Raboteinu koremo t'abaze to tova." To- 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 didn't you say that woman was going to be a helpmeet to me? She was going to help me. Look what she did. She got me in trouble. Okay. So he turns to woman, and with woman, what does he say? So he says to the woman, "What did you do?" And she says, "It wasn't me. It was the snake." And now he turns to the Nachash, and says, "Because you did this." You are cursed from all the animals. You will go on your belly. You will eat dust. There will be enmity and hatred between you and the woman and her seed. They will strike your head and you will strike their heel. To the woman, he says, "Harba arbetz vanech vhereonech, I will increase your pain and your pregnancy. Beetzef teldi banim. In pain, you will give, give birth to children. Veelishcht shukatech You will desire your husband; he will rule over you. Ola dabamar ki shamata lekol istecha v'tochal mina eitz ashet viticha lemor lo tochal menu arurah bavurecha." To man, he says, because you listened to the voice of your wife, and because you ate from the tree which I told you not to. The land will be coast because of you. You will also have etsev, you will also have pain and sadness, you will eat it in pain all the days of your life, for Kotsva dar dar, and the thistles and thorns will will, will, will sprout for you and you will eat the, the grasses of the field, by your sweat you will eat bread, until you return to the ground from where you were taken, because you are but dust, and you will return to dust. Let me go one more pasuk, The man called the woman, because she was the mother of all living beings. And Hashem Elohim made for man and his wife clothing, now not of fig leaves, but of skin, of animal skins or something, and he enclosed them. The first level of this story that I would like to relate to is simply, as I mentioned as we were reading, the psychology of temptation and sin. This is a paradigm of if we say that a hush is representative of our Yetzahara, the voice within our head which persuades us to do all the things that we said we will never do. Um we see the perfect temptation here. First the first stage where everything is made to look as if oh gosh, God is saying everything is not allowed. Of course uh, now Chava is on the defensive and she explains no 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 only this one we can't we can't even touch it, and he says, "No, I know exactly why God wants to restrict you. He knows that you want to be you could be like him, but He's holding you back, and suddenly she feels this great allure. I don't know if you' have ever had the experience of really I remember as a child once really, really, really wanting something, really wanting something from the local candy store, wanting it so badly that I actually slipped it into my pocket and took it home, and when I actually took it home. I realized I didn't want it at all. Not that I was, I don't know whether I was disgusted by my action, but I think more than the stealing, I think I realized that somehow this thing had grown as if it would be so tasty, as if it would be so nice. When I got home, it was just a candy. Our brain has ways of playing games with us that we imagine we can be like God. And of course, what God does to man and woman is shows them just how human they are. The other thing that they do here is shift the blame. And God won't let them do this. God acts as a master psychologist. He goes to each one impatiently in turn and said, What did you do? What did you do? And each one blames the next, not taking on the responsibility. And then God gives them their punishment. And I'd like to talk a little bit about this punishment, because I think it's quite critical. And I think before we do this, we need to say a little bit about the Eitz Hadar How is it that suddenly man and woman became aware of their nakedness? Their sexuality? What happened here? I need to point something else. It is the Rambam, Maimonides, who says, the most amazing feature of human beings is their ability to discern between good and bad, between tov and ra. How could it be that it would be a sin to eat from the tree? It must be that we as intelligent human beings uh, were meant to be able to be discerning and I'll add to this, there's a sort of catch in the story because of course if man doesn't know the difference between good and bad, if woman doesn't know the difference between good and bad then how can they be culpable for eating? They didn't know the difference between good and bad it's clear that they did now some see the one of the key words of the chapter the milim chot, the key words as being the word's dart, it's the Eit Tovara and in the very next chapter we see Adam yada Et Chava Ishto that dart always refers to sexuality and therefore by eating the tree, somehow the tree had some I don't know, mystical, magical properties that made people aware of their sexuality this leads us to wonder why did God want to keep us from that? the Rambam um, You know, before I get to the Rambam, let me say... I want to back the Rambam's perplexity. Later in the Torah we have... uh, I've given you the life and, and death. I've given you good and bad. And suddenly it seems like along with the good and bad we also get death. Why is death added in here? The Rambam says that before we ate from the tree of knowledge the world was an emet Sheker world. Things were absolute you know like it's light and like it's dark you can't argue with that so things which were good and bad there was no question about good and bad right? Um, like something is red and something is green it was good and bad facts right? like something is a mountain or something is a lake it was good and bad suddenly he says Tovvara, as opposed to emet and sheker, good and bad, as opposed to true and false, meant a certain relativism, a certain moral autonomy, a certain um, decision making, an internalization of morality. And in a world of relative morality, that's what we call Tovara. That's what they understood. Now, by the way, I think we can understand that very well. Here, they make their first autonomous decision. have to decide whether to break the rules and once you start breaking rules you start making up your own moral rules that opens a whole Pandora's box now you can do anything you can decide whole moral systems I want to share a a perspective on this chapter which I've read in many many sources In two recent books I've seen it a new book published by uh, Magid by Rabbi Tzvi Gramat, uh, a new book by Rav Grossman. I've heard this approach by Professor Uriel Simon. If you read uh, the beautiful book by Leon Cass on Bereishit, called The Beginning of Wisdom, you'll find this perspective shared there. Um, and I'd like to try and explain this chapter from their perspective. You know, in Gun in Eden, what sort of a a garden is it i want you what, what was the state of man there on the one hand mankind is put there to work and to preserve but we sort of wonder what work did man have to do all he does is he picks the fruit off the off off, off, the, off the trees it doesn't seem like there were any weeds that comes later what work was man doing when it's a place which is abundant with rivers so there's no water to go and you know and, and and take out of the well there's food everywhere what sort of work does man have to do? it's interesting that at the end of our story where man is taken out of Gun Eden it says that he is thrown out of the garden there a man will really work outside the garden but here he seems to have no economic responsibility food is provided for him he hasn't eaten from the Eitzadat he has no knowledge he has no sexual awareness Man and woman in this stage do not reproduce and I'd say more than that man and woman have no death awareness how do I know that because it says when you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and bad then right then mot tamut then you will die but until first of all they eat from it they're not scared of death and second of all I think they have no understanding of death why? Because in a certain sense, Gan Eden is what we would call, not just Gan Eden, the Gan Yeladim. It is childhood. And this story is going to be one of maturation, one of growing into adulthood. Children have no economic responsibility. Children don't need to make decisions between, ethical decisions between good and evil. They're made for them. Children play on the beach naked and they're not worried about their bodies. Children do not reproduce. Children also don't have death awareness. As somebody once said, if you uh, tell tell a child, don't do that, it'll kill you, they probably won't respond to it. They might know what death is, they've seen a dead insect, or they might know that their dog died, but they don't really understand it. If you tell them, you better not do that because you'll get cut, they might take more attention. They understand what it is to get cut, they're not sure what it is to die. Let me contrast that with what happens at the end of this story when we get to the curses at the end we see adulthood what do i mean by that suddenly a woman is going to have children she's going to have children and she's going to raise them she's going to be a mother and of course this is significant because in the last line adam names chava aim Kolchai, the mother of all flesh so critical to this story is the emergence of a sexuality and reproduction Man is now going to become productive. As a result of this story, he is now going to work the land. And working the land means digging and hoeing and creating metal implements and creating a real agriculture. Until then, they were just picking fruit off the trees. No work needed to be done. They just would wait till the next season when the fruit would grow. But now, real agriculture is going to be created. That is the notion of economic responsibility. In fact, the reason why woman is subservient to man is because Man is going to have to work the soil, woman is going to have to have the children. A woman who is going to have children and raise them needs a man around. And of course, why should the man be loyal to the woman if she isn't going to respect him, if she's not going to allow him to rule? He can just go off on his own way and her and her children will not be provided for. And therefore, we need to have a situation where they tie themselves together. Moreover, they now have a death awareness because, of course, it says Ad shuvcha el ha'adama asher ki mimena lukrahta ki afar atav shuv The prospect of death is brought here. How does all this happen? How do we emerge from childhood to adulthood? Answer, we break the rules. You know, it's funny. On the one hand, this is a sin. But on the other hand, this is no surprise to God. You know, if we see our our child who, you know, when we're not looking, climbs up to the to the high closet to go and get the cookies out of the cookie jar, on the one hand, we say, oh, you shouldn't do that. On the other hand, we're quite happy that he has the initiative, the drive, the nerve in order to do this, because we know that he's going to need that for life. And we know that the beginning of an adulthood is the ability to do things on your own. On the one hand, we're worried about our teenagers rebelling and breaking the rules on the other hand without breaking the rules we will never be an adult and of course what happens in this story is something critical it is the story of sin but also the consequences of sin and more than that the shame which goes along with sin all of this the awareness of death the arousal of sexuality and maybe i can go even deeper the meshech asked the question why are we embarrassed by our bodies? He says, fundamentally, it's connected to the breaking of rules. When I am naked, when somebody sees me, I'm worried about what they're thinking. What is it arousing in them? What rules do they want to break? Along with breaking of rules, comes an awareness of sexuality. Here man says, I can make up the rules. And now, Gan Eden is not the place for him. Now that man and woman have decided that they, as the Rambam said can have a relativistic, autonomous, ethical system now they're not in Gan Eden where you live forever, where you eat from the Eta chayim. now you go outside and you exhibit financial responsibility, now you can start a family now you're not in that state of of innocence of childhood that was Gan Eden now some of you are listening are going to say, but this is a sin and the truth is, it is a sin. And the funny thing is, that if you want so we, we could put it this way, uh, whereas the first chapter of creation celebrates man's freedom, this one tells us that freedom is very dangerous. Because when we exhibit our freedom, it comes with consequences. And I think this is the primary thing. If we say that Bereshit is about our beginnings, and about mapping the moral landscape and the religious landscape of who we are, what could be more significant about being an adult than understanding that we do sin? There is no human who doesn't sin. And we can argue that sinning begins in a more intense form in adulthood, but that sins have consequences and they will make a difference to us. On the other hand, if we want to argue that God knew this was going to happen, which of course he did, um, God sent us out First of all, there are many signs in which we see that this was something that God wanted. For example, the idea that he makes not Or of be shame, God makes us leather coats. God knew, prepared for this moment and realized that our later, you know, he's not angry with us, he prepares us for the world outside. On the one hand, man is. Um, God says, I'll finish the chapter, God is like us. Making, uh, knowing the difference between good and evil and now maybe he will send forth his hand which I think I would read now that he's on the outside he will not live forever as children there is no sense of the future no sense of understanding you think you're there for eternity but now he will understand his mortality he sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the land. This is man fulfilling his legacy right from the beginning. Where in the first moment even before uh, we have um man, it says wait we, we're told um that man is here to to work Adam Ayin Avodit Adama. Even before man is created, we're told that his legacy is to work. On the other hand, man is exiled, he gets the consequences of his sin. And on the east side of Eden is the keruvim and the revolving fiery sword to preserve the way to the tree of life. What, I want to, what I'm essentially claiming is this is a story which expresses that the only way to adulthood, the only way to maturation, is in a certain sense by breaking the rules. And by breaking these rules we emerge out of the innocence of childhood into the complexity of adulthood. However, the critical form here is not that, as Christians would have it, that man is somehow tainted by his sin, that sin is always something which is there and the question is are we going to be tempted by the nachash are we going to shift blame that we understand that when we have done something wrong we bear the consequences of that and i'd say one last thing the question is of course can we find our way back to the garden of eden chazal say that what the nachash uh, injected what the Nachash, the sort of like um, mindset that the Nachash gave to the woman. This is a Gemara in Shabbat. What the, the mindset that the Nachash gave to man and woman was taken away, or was given an antidote at Mount Sinai. Fascinating. Where else do we find Kruvim in the Beit HaMikdash, in the Mishkan? What do they guard? The way to the Torah, which is the Eitz if we here were deciding our own autonomic rules where we decided and we decided to defy our parent god remember at this point really hashem is the parent of man and woman there are no human parents the way in which we can actually find our way back to the metaphorical gun eden is by looking what is beyond the kruvim the etz Chaim. he the torah will give us the rules in which we can find a way to reattach ourselves to the metaphorical Gun Eden. We will leave it here, and please God, next time we'll be discussing Cain and Hevel, the first murder.